We there yet? We there yet? The podcast with Rich Kiamko. Ah, that's me. (laughs) Hi, it's Rich Kiamko. We're here back with episode two with Corey Kahaney with the WTY podcast. Thanks so much for being with me, Corey. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So how are you doing? Oh, well, where did you, where did you hide the body? That's probably the first question. Uh, I will say this. I know where the bodies are buried, <laughs> but I have already signed a, a non-disclosure <laughs> with all three networks. That would be CBS, NBC, and ABC. But it's available for download, right? Um, no, I, what I was planning to do is when I retire from comedy... I'm going to do like uh, all those women when they write those books about all the people that they slept with, uh-huh. you know, like Jane Fonda. There was like, like a bunch of famous women have done this. And right. it's always like, no, Florence Henderson, you slept with blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it'll be like that. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be all the bodies you'll start to bury. Unfortunately, though, I don't know that I have the name that that Florence Henderson or Jane Fonda have. So I don't know that it'll sell. <laughs> There'll be like 15 comedians that played uh, at B comedy clubs across the country that would buy it. <laughs> For the insider. The it, it'd be like the insider's insider scoop. Right. Like the comics, comics, comic. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Corey, what? And, this, and, and the idea of We There Yet is there's always like we're as comics or as people on our journeys like we're always trying to get to the next like what's that place like we there yet it's always a question and, and you have i mean you've been on you know comedy central last comic standing you've been on ferguson how many times i mean it's like you're almost like a rec- you know well he's you know well, he's retired so retired but <laughs> the but seven times that i did it was, right was pretty it's uh, spectacular cool. you know that is that is in a way, what keeps comedians going. Because as long as you still have a prize, you know, to keep your eye on, you can keep going. The problem that I've encountered, and, you know, I only wish uh, all of the comedians out there have this problem, because it's really what they call luxury problems, is for me, the holy grail, I, I maybe set it too low. I mean, for me, the holy grail was Letterman. And once I did it, I was like, oh, but I... I made a deal with God that I would quit if I could just have Letterman. And so I kind of feel like I'm cheating, you know, staying on this long. And I don't know. It's sort of like that high school crush when you finally kissed and then you're like, that's it? Yeah. I should have done like 30 or the whole team. (laughs) You know, I wish I could say that there was a lot more I fantasized about. I mean, that isn't to say I was going to turn down a sitcom or I was going to turn down, you know, a, a, a part in a in a TV show or something like that. It's just those weren't things that I dreamed of. I dreamed of sort of the, you know, the I, I wanted Letterman. And so it was it's been hard. I don't know what the next the next right I mean, pr- eye on the prize for me just just now is. And I'm right. trying to figure that out. Right. I mean, because I guess there are other people that would be anyone, whether they're comic or just civilians, that would be like, uh, I would just blow my mind to be on Letterman. Right. Or I guess Colbert now or whatever. I mean, I mean, I guess you could put that on your list. But would that feel I don't know what 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 what? Because if that was like the the golden carrot that was dangling. I'm trying to get excited. What's the next golden yeah, carrot you can set for yourself? I'm s- you know, I originally I was. I was going to say The Tonight Show. And so for a long time, I was like, oh, forget it. I'm just too old. 
because you know Jimmy Fallon's so young. But then, really, you feel like, so that's one of the well, yeah. I mean, I mean, and you're female. No, no, more just because Jimmy Fallon has such a young vibe, right? But then Elaine Boozler just did the Tonight Show, and she <laughs> murdered, and she didn't play down to the youth of the of the uh, of the band or anything or the guests, right? Because she looked out at the audience, and uh, again, I haven't spoken to Elaine about it, but. The audience is our age. They're all people 40s and 50s. <laughs> I mean, who else would want to go see the, you know, sit in an audience and watch The Tonight Show? So right. she they, went out there like and, you know, I, I'm not going to say how old she is, but she's certainly of a certain age. And, um, uh, you know, so now I'm thinking maybe that'll be my next prize. Oh, that's great. I mean, if Elaine Boozler was welcome on The Tonight Show, maybe maybe I could do that. Right. I mean, in a way, I think is, do you feel like sometimes, I mean, in the industry, there is an ageist paradigm but i think the bigger enemy maybe is in ourselves we kind of right dismiss any of these things on the on the i don't know on the vision board or on the vision map well if you're gonna go by mindy kalen who's constantly like reminding us i could do it look i was an indian girl that's kind of fat and i could do it and i could do you know she's one one girl and she's amazingly talented and really really educated and uh, you know came from a lot of um, you know, erudite background as far right, as I'm concerned. Right. Um, so I do love her. I love her message. But um, I, I, I do want to say, isn't it also possible there was a tiny bit of fluke <laughs> right, in right. that arena? I well, don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I was speaking to this other artist I know, and she was saying, you know, there's, there's, three, uh, there's three things. There's the talent, there's the luck, and then there's the discipline. And you really, all we can do is the, the discipline. But it's the other way. I think it's the discipline, it's the talent, and it's the luck. Right. Uh, honestly, because, I mean, everybody that I admire, they had tremendous discipline, you know? I mean, I watched very closely Mike Birbiglia's rise, and, you know, this was not somebody who, I mean, yes, he did whatever, 10, 12 sets a week, maybe, maybe more. But he also really sat down and wrote every day. Jim Gaffigan sits down and writes every day on the computer, actually writes every day. Wow. And that, you know, it, for a lot of us, it, that's just, you know, we have too much ADD to sort of sit down and do that. Or, it, you know, it comes in sort of, you know, ebbs and flows where, like, we'll write a bunch of new stuff and we'll work on a whole, new, a whole you know, slew of chunks. And then, and then we sort of sit on our laurels and let, let it ferment. Right, right. We kombucha our comedy. Yeah. <laughs> And I think what Louis, uh, Louis's best message to comedians was uh, whenever he gets complacent, he takes his closer and he moves it to the opening. And that wow. is so, I mean, think of the bri bravery it takes right. to do that. And I've, I mean, I, 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 it makes perfect sense. Sure, take the thing that's freaking destroying. Yeah. Right, right, right. And then blow it up front. Blow it and up front and try to find something that, you know, that will build and take right. everybody to another level right. of excitement. Right. Here's the thing, though, with your question of are we there yet? So often you have to be open to what the universe has in mind for you because you can be so hell-bent on thinking that if I could just get X, then everything will be great. And along the way, you may get offered something that's way better. Right. That you're not even aware of. Right. And... So sometimes people say, oh, you've got to have goals. You've got to have dreams. You've got to be able to visualize the outcome of what you uh, want to see for your life. But and I like that idea, but I find myself wasting an enormous amount of energy and time on that. And I, 
I perhaps miss opportunities along the way. Right. I don't know. Right. Well, I guess it's like it helps to at least be rowing the boat in a direction. Then f- I mean, I guess it's, there's the other extreme of like, I'm just going to sit in the boat and find out. And there's like, I guess it's tricky because as a comic or as a younger comic, it's always like, well, I, I, I set myself up for some of these goals and deal with some of these gatekeepers just so that I have s- some kind of shape to what I'm doing. If not, I just feel like, okay, I'm just going to work on these jokes and then, right. you know, and then just randomly go to these different rooms or go, uh, college. I mean, college is a whole other world. It was right. like, you know, you, different goals for that. I mean, I want to book it, but you got to be clean. You know, you want to go as close to the edge as possible, but you don't want to be, you know, outside of PG-13 because now you're not going to get rebooked. So I don't know what you were talking about. Some, some funny places up in, up in the Catskills. I mean, I didn't, even, I mean, I have a place up there and I run shows up there and I didn't even know this. There's some other, rainbow bubble that you had come across well i was one there's there were four of us there was like four young comedians still working the catskills and until the last one closed the last hotel right. last hotel clo- that closed was was kutcher's yeah but um i i still i i was playing i was playing some of the catskill resorts until they closed and then i continued even th- this summer i i still do some homeowners associations that are up there i mean uh, the people are so hopeful, Rich. They think, oh, they're like, well, this place just got gambling and, you know, this Korean company is going to make this a, a health spa and we just, we see so much future here. And I'm like, have you driven on your roads? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the Hasidic Jews have like systematically made every place look, uh, every place looks like the ghetto that they take over. Right. And you know what? Right. I, I don't, you know, I, uh, I am a proud you know, a member of the tribe. So I, I certainly don't want it to come off like I'm knocking them, but it's, it must be very hard for people that own property up there. Yeah. I guess it's, it's a different, it's a different culture uh, of how they set up a camp. And then there's this vision of these, I mean, there are careful with the word camp. (laughs) (laughs) They set up uh, (laughs) resorts. I, well, they, what are they? Well, I can't read the signs. I can't read the signs to tell you what it was. No, sometimes it says, you it know. It does say it camp, Sometimes though. it'll say Camp Shmuli or, you know, Moisha. Right. It's true. Right, right, right. But, there, you know, there there is this huge uh, casino and water park and I, I can't even, there's so many different things that are, you know. And there's that ashram that's all lit up in neon. Have you ever seen that? I don't in, know, sou- in South Fallsburg? Oh my! Oh right! I think I've driven by, and you're like, "What? What?" Out of the out of the distance is this like ashram that has neon, and I I've visited there. It How was, was it? Well, it was just um, th- th- it was very funny. They had like announcements. They were like, "Please bring your mind back to consciousness because there is an orange Hyundai <laughs> license plate. Om Shanti Om. Your lights are on." Yes, we're looking for uh, the owner of a Hyundai license plate. Om Shanti Om, your lights are on. And it was like, yeah, it was very funny. Um, I'll give you a good example of the Are You There Yet story. So, like I said, for me, the Holy Grail was Letterman. And I was doing, I don't know, must have been audition number seven. And in fairness, while it did take me 14 years to actually achieve my goal, I did turn in something like, I don't know, let's just say 11 really bad auditions. So I can't blame the casting directors. Live auditions for that were just, they were always a disaster for me because I wanted it too much and I would just tank or I just wouldn't be as good as I could. So I had... Uh, so you would like be auditioning and just in your head and spiral out. It just wanted it too much. S- and so I just, I, I would, there was an inauthentic 
Corey coming forward when I would do it. So uh, one night I'm having, uh, maybe it's the, I don't know, at this point it's probably the sixth audition. And uh, this was even before Eddie Brill. So it's going back quite a number of years. And I, I did the audition and as soon as I got out there, I realized the whole thing was a joke. Ba basically, a favor was being done for one of the people that was auditioning who was never going to get the show, but he wanted to audition. So he filled the audience and he got up and he told like street jokes. And so, you know, I, I went out to this audience that was talking and, you know, completely enamored by the act that was before me, which was the person who brought the audience. Anyway, it was a bad situation. Not going to blame the audience at all. But I realized while I was on stage, the whole, you know, the, uh, nobody was taking this seriously as an actual audition. And right. I felt so angry because I had prepared. I had done my, you know, my, I always like to do 11 sets before I do an audition. Right. That's right. the formula for me. Everybody else can have their own. You know, maybe it has something to do with 7-Eleven. I find <laughs> if you prepare, if you do 11 times the set that you really want, that you will, you will land the gig. So, I left the audition so angry, so enraged, and I had a spot at the comic strip, and I forgot that my manager had left this message on my answering machine saying, somebody from HBO wants to take a look at you at the comic strip. So, I, but I didn't even, all I cared about was Letterman. All I cared about was that audition at Letterman. It was a catch. It was, it was so important, and like, so I, I got to... I got to the comic strip, totally forgot about this message that my, and also when I got the message that somebody from HBO, I was like, oh, please, at the comic strip, because it's, it's right, not right. exactly the, you know, it, it's, the comic strip is a great place to be seen, but, it, you know, I couldn't imagine somebody from HBO coming to the comic strip to look at people. I thought they'd be at Caroline's or they'd be at, you know, at the cellar. Anyway, right. so I, I go up and I was so angry about this other audition that I essentially just, I, I just used like a, a cathartic, you know, explosion on stage to get every all my rage out. <laughs> so and your, your I, audition for HBO was raging against. Yeah. And I mean, I just I hammered and I hammered. And I don't know if this this is a, a very clean podcast, but uh, it's not, it's, what we say is, you know, no, it's fine. As, as comics, I always say I took my cock out, you know, and I just I, I, I that's what I did. And I. I get a phone call at around, I don't know, midnight. I was home already, and my, my, my manager said, I don't know what you did, but um, you're, you're going to be on a plane um, on Monday because they want to meet with you in person. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> Who? Who wants to meet with me? I'm like, they loved you. <laughs> Who's they? And I'm thinking it's Letterman, like, for a second. Right, right. I'm still thinking. And they're like, no, HBO. What? Come on. Really? And I was so... Like whatever, okay. So you're I, so fixated on Letterman that like the, they, and sure enough, the next you know that Monday I was on a plane and I was at the offices in Century City and I was like the whole thing was so surreal. And most likely, the fact that I was so myself, and so didn't care, and you know not attached to the outcome of that set. <laughs> Led me, and that was my first development deal, and that development deal led to three development deals, and you know it took me, you know, so many places. It renovated my kitchen. It paid for my daughter to go to boarding school when she got into trouble in New York City schools, and you know it was it was very much, you know, a turning point in my life. But I never, ever would have gotten it if I knew how important it was. Oh my God! That's why I say sometimes we have to remember keeping the eye on the prize is very good, but there are other prizes out there that you can't even you can't even foresee 
Right, right. I mean, there's this, I'm not sure if it was Marion Williamson or the artist. Wait, there, there's a quote where it says, you know, we keep telling the universe we want a red, the gift we want is a red box with a gold ribbon. And the universe is like, well, here's a blue one and a green one and a purple one. I'm like, no, 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 I need the, the, the red one, the gold. And then it's like, uh, we, we miss it. And it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, it's, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great story to remember that when you're the most you, is when you do the best and you know when the you know the, the most rewards will come right i mean i i remember uh like the last i guess last winter i was out uh, I, I was i lost my voice for like three weeks i was, I was gonna go open for louis anderson in las vegas and i got so emotionally like blocked like it's happening no it's really happening just you're going to be great and i was like i couldn't get i couldn't say out loud i was afraid i was afraid to say i was afraid so i just got like i lost my voice and i actually it went great. It was fine. The first show, I was like freaking out, but then I got over it. But so I went to this festival in another city afterwards, and I so didn't care. I was so like, fuck these queens, because this is just some LGBT showcase. There's nobody in this room. And I was like, and I wish I had taped it. I mean, I had taped like on the side in the back, you know, taping through someone's whatever. So waitresses standing in front of the camera. So it was nothing. But then the next phase of this festival, they're like, oh, and before you go up, so so and so from the TV thing and blah blah blah, the Booker. I got totally like, and I was like, just I had left my authentic self had left, and I was like, damn it, why didn't I just leave in that? You know, it was it was a, I learned, but it was that same thing of like when you want it and you're all in your head. Ah, oh. I mean, how do you stay? How do you trick? Is there a trick? Is there a or just nothing gives? I don't give a sh well, shit anymore. Th like there what? is there is there is a trick. You know, I again, I don't know if it'll work for everybody, but it, I will say once I already have the gig, that's a different story. So like if I like yeah. if I already have the gig that I'm nervous about the performance, I have tricks to put the fear out of my head. And um, and I think I've told you I've shared this with you in the past. I always think about the fact that this is just an increment of time and that after that five minutes or that seven minutes or, you know, 30 minutes is over. I am going to, you know, I'm going to have a drink or I'm going to, you know, check my cell phone or I'm going to, you know, eat a cheeseburger, whatever it is. I always try to remember that this is not the end of my life, that there is more on the other side of of that door. And, um, and there's still laundry and it's waiting. An <laughs> it's an increment of time and I need to show up for it. And I need to I also need to remember the audience wants me to do well they have no investment in me doing poorly and so uh, remembering that so often helps like wait a minute wait a minute this the the, the uh, these people don't want me to 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 die it's not all comedians <laughs> hoping for my demise these are all regular people that want to laugh these and are human beings with hearts yes so you remember that and it you know it does help i mean i you know i was terrified when i was in the finale for Last Comic Standing. Right. There was right. five, you know, the way that they did it on on my season was all five of us performed in the finale and then there was like a follow-up show to sh to say who won. And I had to go last in oh, that right, in that right, lineup. Right. Oh, right. And I was not only going last but I was following Ralphie and Ralphie, Ralphie had such a huge huge following by this point. And Ralphie made for the listeners. Ralphie made for the listeners, and he's a big, you know, he's a he's a big guy, and he's got a big presence. Right, right. And uh, I I decided that I was going to uh, remember that I wasn't in the audience. I didn't know who they had seen f prior to me. I had, uh, you know, and I was different than everybody else. And I kept that in mind. And when I I came out on stage, I was so grateful. I, like everybody got up on their feet 
and you know greeted me and whether they did that for everyone i'll never know because i you know i was in a box waiting to go on right but i tried i pretended that this was me that they were standing up for <laughs> and they they were, couldn't wait for me and i looked at every, i tried to grab every girl's eye that i could because i knew that you know they would they would root for they you. would root right, for right, me right, right, right. and um and i had a great time ah oh. But wow. the, y- yes, I, I definitely had to do a lot of Zen, you know, thinking to get through that. Right. For sure. Right. I mean, what happens? Like, have you had a situation where you're just eating it? You're somewhere. It's like, I don't know if you're headlining somewhere. Or you're just you're eating it. And how do I get out of that? Like, because, you know, sometimes a rocket fails. and You're in space. And now you have to figure out how to turn on the engine. I always, t- you know, I always tell my, you know, students or comedians that come to me for advice that you have to acknowledge when you're eating it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so hard because I you can't spend the whole set, you know, being self-deprecating because then it gets old. Right. But you do have to, at a certain point, acknowledge for the audience, I know this is not going well. <laughs> because if you don't, <laughs> then they think you're crazy or they think you're that mu- you're so green that they don't even want to take you seriously. But at least if you acknowledge this isn't going that great or this is the best I've ever done in a sarcastic <laughs> way or um, I, I thought this would go better. <laughs> or, um, you know, I bet you can't wait for the next act or something like just some w- one or one or two lines where you're giving them credit for their intelligence. Right. I think will crack open their hearts often. Right. And, um, you know, I've seen it. I've seen it work more often than not. I've also seen people go so far where they just constantly saying, well, that died or that didn't, you know, one more, you know, one more joke that didn't work. That's almost over. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Um, but you have to acknowledge it and then you have to pull away from it and give it your, you know, you have to try. I believe in the power of the back pocket joke. I think I've t- shared this with you. Oh, where you just you? have a joke that always works. It, you could be laying on the floor saying it into a microphone and uh with absolutely no emotion and the joke will still work because it's a well-written joke right. so if you have one of those back pocket jokes this is a good time after you acknowledge you know i i bet you can't wait for this to end uh then pull out your back pocket joke you can sometimes shift the, so the like boat reboot, in the harbor reboot or and then the goal really isn't to turn it around to a kill the goal is to turn it around to what i would call a mediocre set because a full-on bomb is in, it's in your power to, to shift if, if, you, if you've been doing it for a long time. Right. But a full-on bomb, when you're a, a new comic, is very good for you. It's really good for you because you have to bomb a certain number of times, you know, especially when it's a paid gig and it's an important gig. You have to bomb once or twice so that you know, so that you know what it's like. Because then when you say I bombed, it's it's the truth. You know how many comedians tell you they killed and you just your eyes roll and you're like, I know what a kill is. And you have never even come close to that. <laughs> and you so you have these moments and I'm I'm not a I'm not a oh, my God, I killed person. I'm a oh, my God, I could have done better or, you know, they liked me or it was fine. I'm more of that kind of a person because I, I killing is so elusive and to really kill, you know it. And if you really did kill, you don't need to tell anybody. Right. They right. all freaking know. They were all in the room. Right, right, right. And the best thing is for other people to say that you killed, not for not for you to say you killed. Right, right, right. It's not some delusion. Because, I've, yeah, I've seen those delusional moments. You're like, wow, this person is, I don't know what reality they're in. <laughs> that was painful. It was, yeah. 
or you, or they say they killed it, and and for you uh, was was able to wa- witness it. You're like, no, what happened was you didn't bomb. <laughs> It's really it, it's really interesting. Um, yeah. Now, what what is that? What was a moment where you like? When did you know this was your calling? Like, like uh, you have to do this. Like everything, get out of the way. I I have to do comedy. Like somewhere. Like when did you start? And what was this moment when you? Because you know, anyone could start and go. Well, I don't know. Or they had a great first. But the, anyway, what was your? I don't want to give you like the whole backstory because it would take so long, but I will. I will share this. I had, um, I was working in food service, which meant that I was working with actors and, you know, performers and singers and dancers and whatever. And at the time, I was really surrounded by a lot of comedians, and it was like the universe was very much steering me there. I was also ending a relationship with a comic. So I had been their audience <laughs> for a long time. Right. Yeah, I was, the, you know, when they would do a bringer show, I would, you know, I would get all my friends to come and, you know, support. So I, there were a lot of nights of me sitting in the audience thinking, oh, my God, I could do this. And then still that wasn't enough to do it. And uh, whatever, whatever it was, I was listening to this man speak, and he was an artist, and he was talking about how he couldn't make his rent, and he followed all of the rules for you know for success that he was supposed to follow and the day his rent was due someone bought a painting for four thousand dollars and was sitting in this room and then afterwards we we all got a chance to get up and shake hands with this person and he shook my hand and he said so what is your right work you know there's you know your right work Uh, and I said the words I want to be a stand-up comedian and as soon as they came out of my mouth I was so angry. Like, I wanted to take those words back so much. Wow. And I was so, like, I, I know I, once I had articulated it, I was so angry with myself because I knew it was going to be a really hard choice. Uh-huh. And I was, I think I was down on 14th Street when this happened, and I walked all the way home to the Upper West Side and um, just sh- grasping my fist the whole way and 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 terrified terrified because I I had Mm. a corporate job I I was a single mom everything was against me and I just took it one step at a time how old was your child Um, my daughter was nine wow yeah yeah and you're a single mom it's not like you have and it was Manhattan rent you know what I mean it was it was it was you know it was all the all the trimmings of New York City and I didn't get child support because I had uh, I did not have a great you know uh divorce attorney and uh and i you know was <laughs> your divorce attorney bombed he ex- bombed yeah at the at the time of my divorce it was like he was i was making more than him it was just a fluke even though he had a doctorate you know and went to harvard and columbia and berkeley um nope no bitterness but anyway for whatever reason he wasn't employed and so uh i got no child support so i was very it was convoluted and i was just so happy for my freedom that i was like no problem Right, yeah. right, right. You're like, fine, fine. Doesn't matter. Just get me out of here. Just get me out of here. Exactly. Right. So, um, wow. So, so and what I had, I had a motivation. Like, I felt, I saw all the other divorced women that were around us that also had kids, and so many of these divorced women were just waiting for their check every month, and just being so angry and so bitter for being left behind, and not necessarily following any dreams, 
And I, I didn't want my daughter to get that message. I, I just felt like if I pursued what I really wanted to do, and if that meant, okay, a little bit of neglect, <laughs> <laughs> exposing her to things that perhaps weren't exactly appropriate for her age, which I, I take full responsibility for, both the neglect and the, you know, exposing her to things she wasn't ready for, um, then maybe what I was was an example. And being an example to her that you don't say no. You don't say no to your dreams and, you know, your your calling. And I hope that was the message she got. Wow. Wow. Because a lot of mothers would be like, well, I got to just sit here and don't don't breathe. Everyone sit inside and wait for the next air airdrop of food because we're single and we can't do it. I mean, that's, that, would be, that would be a worse example. And, to you say. know, I, I want to I call out to some of those mothers. A lot of them actually were rooting for me. A lot of them took my daughter on a Friday night or for dinner wow. so that I could go and uh, do one more open mic. A lot of those mothers really helped out. Oh, my God. You know? I'm going to cry. As, as much as it was hard for me to relate to them, they were rooting for me, too. Well, in a way, you were you were doing it for them. A little bit, you know. In my building that you're in right now, it w- there was five of us. There were five divorced single moms in this building. Wow. And um, I actually tried to pitch this as a show to HBO because it was it was so it was so bizarre. There was five of us, and all of us were in different kind of situations. Some were, you know, estranged from the, you know, from the father of their children. Some some had, you know, a decent relationship. Some were still in love with their ex. Uh, some were gay and and they you, you know the, the the women were gay and that's why the marriage ended and you know some some were like me and it just was this sort of like your garden variety uh, irreconcilable irrecon- irreconcilable differences um and we all were a network i mean my daughter was sort of the second oldest so she walked a lot of the younger ones to school uh. we had kind of a community in this in this building and no question when I got my first TV spot, I mean, th- they're, they're, they were all responsible. All those girl, all these girls that, that oh. who have kids now that have, you know, long since gone to college and maybe gotten married and whatnot. Are they, st- are they, are you still in touch with them? Are they in the building? Have they moved on to Not the all of them. Or? I mean, there's three, s- three still left in the building and, wow. um, you know, they get a real kick out of, out of me and uh, they, they particularly like it when my daughter visits because they, they see her and. It's it was a very it was a very nice time. Oh my god. That's yeah. like a that's like a miracle in a tragedy. Right, like, because you know comedy is so incredibly cutthroat and unfair and it's n- you know sometimes people like like well why why didn't why you know I've been doing this for 2 years why didn't I get past that club and I'm like I'm sorry did you not get an appointment with human resources <laughs> because you just need to let human resources know that there was an oversight and you did not you know <laughs> y- you were passed over I mean, it's <laughs> it's an incredibly screwed up business. So, you know, again, to have little angels that help you along the way. Wow. Well, that that's a fleet. Yeah. That's a whole village. I mean, it did take a village, and it, the village was in your building. <laughs> the village was in my building. Uh, a, another comedian, Marla, who lived f- two blocks away. Marla Schultz? Marla Schultz. Oh, my God. She lived with three female roommates. So she, there was four girls in this apartment up, up on West End Avenue, and every Monday night, they took Ariel to watch Melrose Place, <laughs> and they ordered barbecue chicken pizza, so she didn't mind going there. And guess what? Monday night was a really hot open mic night. So, I mean, I would right. go do three. And, you know, so Marla, you know, definitely gets a big 
Wow. Kudos was she a comedian at the time? Yeah, she was a comedian at the time. But Monday, you know, she had a corporate job. And Monday night, she decided she wanted to have a social life with her, you know, with her roommates. And she also uh, loved Ariel. And, you know, God oh, bless her. She was so really sweet. Amazing. Yeah. That's because... I mean, I could imagine other comics like, fuck that, I need, I need the stage time. <laughs> you get a sitter <clears throat> or get an Uber or Uber sitter. Or, well, they didn't have that. They didn't have them back then. But like, that's, yeah, a, that's I incredible. Mean, I think there were nights where Marla actually did come with me and those girls just, you know, sort of kept Ariel. I'm not, I, I think we, you know, occasionally that happened too. Huh? Huh. Now, is along the way, was there something you discovered that you were surprised, like, I don't know, like your kryptonite or your vice or something that, like, is there a thing that spins you out or that you've, you, you may have sabotaged yourself? I mean, I know you were saying clinging. To yeah. Me, yeah. Well, my kryptonite is jealousy and envy. And I, I have to say, I'm sure it's, it's probably the same for all comics. And right. every time, every time it takes over, it does some kind of damage. I'll never forget once I was driving with, um, Eddie Brill to a gig and I was talking about how unfair the business was and he said I wish you could hear how bitter and angry and ugly you sound right now he said the only thing you can control is your act and you know that so go and fucking work on your act Wow. And it, it hit me to the core. And every time I go there, every time I start, every time I'm looking at somebody else's, <laughs> you know, website to see where they're working <laughs> or something <laughs> like that or uh, whatever, I know that, wait a second, no, no, there is, uh, there is a much better thing I could be doing and that is to work on my act. Right, right. And it I will get my ass out on stage and I'll try to go and do a few sets and try to work on some new material because that's usually where I am bailing on myself. Right, right. It's easy to get distracted and you know the compare and despair spiral there's nothing you're swinging your bat at a ball that's not even there like but there's all these balls on your court you could be like getting to the next place but now i think i'll just spend this eight and hours. a lot of times a lot of times comedians will call me and they'll say i just need to bitch for five minutes right to get it out of their system and you know depending if, if the bitch was if the bitching is valid I, I i will hear it out but sometimes i'll be like no i'm not even gonna let you go there if we don't root for this person we are killing ourselves because this person's opening doors for us right at the end of the day this is all this is good for female comics right so shut up and we just have to be we just have to be support and if nothing else you know they're funny so let's let's be there let's be supportive because right. i remember when when ray romano made it there was this incredible excitement on behalf of all the comedians. Like everyone rallied behind him. And the positive energy behind Ray Romano making it was all good. It, I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe I was only aware of the all good. But it was, it was pure and it was clean and it was white and nice. Right, right, <laughs> and right. And I, I feel like we need to have that especially for any female comic that is breaking through right now. Right. Get rid of that. Right. Get rid of that nastiness because it's it's it there's plenty of that on the internet right right any any social media site is like the steroids for snark and it really i, I feel like it only poisons ourselves because we can't you know it's like we're not even secondhand smoke we're the ones smoking we're, we're ruining our own air and we can't and it's thrive. hard to remember it it's 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 hard to remember it sometimes when you're waiting for the call when you're waiting for the call and the call doesn't come and they get the call right right and you're sitting in and you're sitting in the audition and I, I remember I, I got a call 
I had a call for girls. I was all excited. I said, 40-something, and m- Filipino male with an attitude. I'm like, I can do this. This is so me. I'm so in it. And I, I went in. I was crushing. Like every like, I, You and other people have told me, like, just go in. The minute you're in, you are auditioning. And I was having a great time. And they loved me. And they had me do several takes and whatever. But then I walk out that door, and I felt like I walked into, like, like the wedding reception, all my relatives, everyone looked exactly, there was like a whole pile of clones of 40-something Filipino males with an attitude. Like, ah, sh-. and you can't, you just can't, you know, but we're, we're, there's always someone else pioneering for this, for all of us. Right. You know, and I really love that you say that because it's like, well, wait, but, but there's going to be a brown person on a major TV show. That's amazing. Right. <laughs> so every time you see an Asian making it in comedy, you need to you need to rally around them. And right. Be very supportive. Right. right. You know, you have you have to Devo every goddamn episode that Steve Burns <laughs> right. show, whatever right. that McAllister is. Right. Right. Yeah, sure. It's it, it, it's it, it's a. In the end, it actually makes you feel better about you if you can make that turnaround. Right. If you can flip that and go, oh, right, because that's only I'm only giving that person. I'm only giving myself what I'm giving that person because then when I get to that place. And they will they will pay off. They will satisfy you. Like I I was, you know, I was I I recently. I have to admit this. I'll I'll come I'll come out and just say this. wasn't so behind Natasha Leggero being one of the judges on Last Comic Standing. But then, what a, whatever it was, a year later when she made that joke about Pearl Harbor and then she got all this shit on the internet for it, her response was so amazing and so funny and so dead on. I was like, all right, you know what? She's really smart. She's really funny. And um, I'm, you know, I'm on team Leggero. <laughs> so now, explain the joke. So uh, the joke was they were doing something uh, about Pearl Harbor and it had something to do with SpaghettiOs. Do you remember what it was? I don't remember the joke. Um, She said, oh, it was something about SpaghettiOs and she said, and the only people who remember Pearl Harbor, that's probably the only food they can chew. So, you know, because let's face it, people right, remember right, Pearl right, Harbor, right, ancient. Right, 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 right. And so she, she came back with, and everybody demanded an apology, you know, from USA Today to, you know, all the Christian whatever. And um, she went, she came out and she said, uh, I stand by the joke. The joke was funny. Um, and she listed everyone in her family who did military service and said, you know, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> and it was really, really good. It was, it was, it was just well done, you know. Right. I mean, and, I th- and then I think she ended it with a, you know, with a, fu- I don't think she said go fuck yourselves, but with a funny sort of a go fuck yourself ending. And right, it was, right. it was, it was, it was beautiful. Well, that's great. But, it, but I think it's also dangerous now. There's so much PC police around humor that we, c- we can't do anything now. We all have to, we all have to, st- we can't jump right, off but, a cliff. We have to jump in. But what I'm saying is you do need to, you do need to remember that these, the people, these people that are in places where they get like, stuff that you want whether it's a a, you know a part on a tv show or they're hosting something or they're a star they're there for a reason it's not just because they you know they suck somebody's dick it's never that Um, (laughs) you know you can think that but it's never that right because they have to deliver they have to deliver and uh, you know every time you see natasha on on a um on a roast she you know she shows up she's hilarious she's great she brings it and she brings it and um and and that that moment really was so gratifying to see that she she very much she 
she had it and I, I, I I'm behind her now. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. Cause I think it's, it's tricky. I mean, I, I, and I have seen situations where I'll be in the back of the club with hanging out with the other comics and like a big name will go up, a big female name will go up. And then suddenly there's like, Oh wow, she looks a little, you think she looks a little fat. And I'm like, I don't want to say, I'm like, ah, we're snarky. We want to just like, I'm, I'm actually like, wow, I'm, I want to hear what they're working on. Cause like, obviously this is not polished material. Right. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, but it's so tricky. Cause I mean, I think, I think we automatically, even like with the Trump thing, look at her face, look at her face, you know, and he sounds, but we all have this, this, we all have on some level, a Trump sniper in our head. That's Donald Trump, Corey Kahaney's new favorite comedian. <laughs> I just think he's hilarious. He's hilarious. He gets away with everything that we could never get away with. Right. Look at her face. Imagine her. Fa- and then, and then, what was crazier is then, they, they, you know, that the the second debate was like, okay, so this guy called your mama this. What's your response? I mean, it was this crazy thing? And they had the response by, uh, uh, and Trump was called out on his look at her face. And so th- then he just says, well, she's got a beautiful face. You have a beautiful. You just still sound like a douchebag. <laughs> like right. nothing. Everything out of your mouth just makes it just is deeper and I mean, deeper. And no one's stopping him. I, I mean, the fact that. They let him get away with how badly he treated Megan, whatever. Right. I mean, I thought it was I thought it was so inexcusable. She's a reporter. Right. She's a journalist. It's it's not okay. Right. And the, every time it was like, oh, I was talking about blood from you know, her ears or her persona. I mean, it was just like these crazy every every back every obvious backtrack. They let him have it. But every abu- every abusive man thinks the way that Donald Trump thinks, which is, I you know, I, I can trash a woman. I, I he he would never say that to a male journalist, right? Because you know they threaten him. He's not threatened by women, right? And no one would ever say, "Look at the guy's face. Look at his face. Imagine that guy's face is your president." You know, or oh, I think he's hot. He's totally hot. No, I said this guy is hot. Look at him; he's hot. I mean, you would never tell him. A guy would never tell another guy, ever. Yeah. I mean, I didn't. I didn't mind him doing it so much to Carly Fiorina. <laughs> Not so much because I, I have a problem with her, but because okay, she's a peer, but Megan is a journalist, and right, she's a professional, and she, sh- you know, it should have been hands off. Right. Right. I'm sorry. And they threw under the bus. I even Fox understood him going after Rosie O'Donnell. I mean, Rosie O'Donnell is a comic. She's, uh, she's you know, with opinions. She's on her show. Megan was not coming forward with her opinions. She was asking questions. Right. Anyway, uh, right. enough on that. I hope he sticks around because he's he's delicious. <laughs> he's the gift that keeps giving. He's just, he's great and, you know. It's a wonderful, you, you know, um, it, he's a, he gives, sends out a message to so many uh, of us that we need to remember that Americans are really tired. Americans are Mer- really, American. Americans are really tired of American. not being able to say what they think. And he, he's doing it for us. Right. But I think it's interesting because it's still refreshing, even though I don't like what he has to say, because everyone else is, I'm going to speak to you. It, it's like almost those, like the internet robot that'll read dialogue. I'm reading this right. second talking point. I smoke pot in <laughs> college. Sorry, mom. <laughs> I <laughs> respect these Hebraic peoples. <laughs> I have nothing but. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's tough. 
we live in such a we've become so afraid of litigious activity I think at some point i think the next step is just comedians are going to be running for president because they're going to do a really tight five <laughs> just get up there and crush i crushed i did my talking points i and hope I not i really hope not I, I think I think comedians should not take themselves too seriously. It makes me uncomfortable when comedians take themselves too seriously. Right, right. You know? I, I, I was one of those people who did not love Jon Stewart going and doing the rally in D.C. I didn't love it. Uh, I didn't think it was his role. Wow. You know, when you think about Carlin, who brought about change using humor, he... He did it using humor, but there wasn't like there wasn't like a church of George Carlin. Right, right. And he was also just doing plowing through without some. He was just. I mean, it was like his voice. This is my voice. This is my opinion. This is my opinion. And yeah. Fuck you. Right. But and not okay. And that's create and a platform. Because we live in America, you can you can believe whatever you want to believe. I mean, he right. was always reminding people that they were entitled to their. I don't know. Um, I I occasionally have problems with uh, Bill Maher. You know, mm. he's so, so funny, but oftentimes he is preaching and it's like, stop it. Stop preaching. You are not you are not the voice of everyone's approach to Islam. Sorry. Right. 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 Oh, I guess it's it's tricky, too, because when you get to a position like that, you start to. But you know what? I'm confused about that, too, because at the same time, I do defend his, his you know, I do defend his right to free speech as well. And if he wants to every week do that. <laughs> <laughs> Who am I to say otherwise? Right, I'd love to be. I, I still want to support him in, in in having that platform. He's created something that's that's created the momentum for everyone else. Let's put it this way. I love to watch the Bill Maher show. The only time I get uncomfortable is at that very end when he does new rules and at the end he looks into the camera and he does that sort of, a, you know, where he, where he does that finger wagging, not not Colbert's joking finger wagging, but he does the oh. real finger wagging and he says, and that's why, da, 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 and he's... You know, he's so serious. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're a comic, man. You're a comic. We are. That is not us. Right. Right. And I could be, you know, a lot of people say I'm wrong. I mean, if you have a microphone, why not use it? If, if you have the power, why not use right, it? Right. Right. If you have a platform, you can. He's basically sneaking in what he wants at the, you know, yeah. s slipping in. It's his Trojan horse. At the last minute, he just dropped. He's dropping the, uh, the, the trap door of the Trojan horse and puts out his finger wag agenda. Right. I mean, you know, Louis C.K. has has a platform. I, I don't see I mean, other than sort of, you know, asking questions, you know, giving us giving us food for thought. I don't see him preaching. And I, I I'm glad he doesn't. Right. Right. Well, he, yeah. He has a different. His is more attraction, not promotion. Like you're coming into this world and you can't. And he's calling himself out on his on all his foibles. Right. But. Yeah, there isn't this righteousness. It's more like, yeah, I'm fucked up. Yeah, look, look how fucked up I am. Right. And look, well, these people are fucked up, but I mean, look, I'm. I'm <laughs> I just think the line needs to be very clear. When you're a comic, you're a comic. Right. Put it on if as long as it's phrased in the I think or I believe, or it occurs to me, I'm fine. Right. But when you when you turn that when you turn that to you and you need to think and you need to, that's not wow. our job, man. It's not our job. Wow. Right. You know the New York Times article, women aren't funny. The more we talk about women not being taken seriously, it's like the more we're perpetuating it. Right. Are you kidding me? Women uh, right now, I mean, there's there's three Comedy Central shows right, that are being um, uh, headed by 
by by women and um yes it sucks that there's none uh on mainstream network television that are hosting um late night shows i i don't think that's going to be forever but it's right. they are breaking through in every way right. and train wreck made a lot of money bridesmaids made a lot of money and the more they see that women can uh, buy tickets to movies and they will make more movies for women about women right. the better right but if we focus on the on the negative if we get up and bitch and complain about that vanity fair um photo sh f then we're just giving more we're adding right. more and we're also we're focusing on the problem and not expanding the solution because yeah. you know great material is great material and if we keep creating it you know it's un this is undeniable momentum i mean for me i feel like it's we because train I mean, wreck happened bridesmaid happened and it wasn't no gatekeeper kept that out Exactly, and I would I would encourage everyone to uh, follow on Twitter the Women's Media Center. They put out tweets every week at, that where women are, are heavily profiled in the media, and um, follow them. Follow uh, you know Jill uh, Sokolov. Follow everyone that is championing women, because the more money the, and spend money on these right. on these products. Right. Go see it. Download it. Download it. Go see it. Buy it. Yeah, don't 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 uh, bootleg it. Full you know, full retail it. And and tweet about it. Talk you know, and and Facebook about it, and blog about it. It's it it it's terrific. I mean, there's so many. I'm trying to think. Like uh, there there was something. I oh I follow Melissa. Oh, I can't think of her name. There's this one woman on f every Friday. She puts out a blog about what women in film, whether they're directing, writing, or starring this week you should support and we'll google it and i'll i'll dub that in <laughs> we can dub that in <laughs> melissa silverstein women and hollywood on indiewire blog what's next like what's i mean I know you were saying you struggle with like what's what's the next there like what's the next place because you're you you've set letterman as your as your gold standard now you have find out well, wh what's platinum or what's triple platinum what's because i think also it doesn't as an artist having some kind of challenge like the next because every olympian wants to beat their record or i don't know like even serena williams she was headed to the grand slam and then ah but she's had a, you know she's got all this in her wake <laughs> of success but there's there's still the there's the joy of the game the joy of the challenge like what's what's I mean, do you do you feel like you can still you're still I, have those sets where you're like, I just um, I love this and I, I want still have comedy sets where it's like, oh my god, this is this is the best job ever. Mm. Um, but I have because comedy pays the rent and because comedy pays for my daughter's wedding that's in two, two weeks and because it's still my livelihood. It it there are times where it is a slog and it's a very lonely art form and. What I have been doing for the past year is, you know, I'm I'm submitting a lot of writing packets. I'd like to be on a team. I'm ready to support a, a talent. I'm ready to be the um, the backbone of something. I don't mind that. I feel like I got what I needed in terms of uh, public persona, and I wouldn't mind being behind the scenes at right, this point. Right, right, and you can just go to the writer's room every morning yeah. and... I think it would be nice, and I, I'm also just I'm not that interested in my appearance. Does that make sense? Like I, right. the I, the part of getting on TV right now is just oh, it's like what undergarment 
do I need to buy that will flatten, that will push this up? And <laughs> the, uh, the roots and the, and the nail, I just, it's like, I'm not all that, I'm so much more into the material. I'm so much more into the joke, the writing. Right. And, um, and that's probably why I'm teaching and it's probably why I'm coaching because I do really like the actual craft and I love the formula of like, you know, the cliff and then the falling off and getting the applause right there. I mean, I like the science of that so much. Right. So with all that in mind, I am I'm doing way more writing and I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm trying to shift the, the 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 boat that way. And I may be too late because it's it's late in the game for me to be trying to do this. Most of the the comedians that I have known um, who went that route did it a lot younger, you know. Huh. And then do you, so there's just like a, a cutoff age and they're just like, we're not going to take, because when someone, you submit a packet, it's not like ju- blah, 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 comic age. Well, what blah, happens blah, blah, blah. is if, if they, if you submit a packet and the people know anything about comedy, they'll, they'll be, they'll see Corey Gahaney and they'll be like, yeah. oh, I know her. She's, she's, you know, she's done a whole bunch of, you know, she's done nothing but stand up for 25 years. I don't know if she can sit down and, you know, produce on a daily basis. Uh. It's, it's. I guess it's a different animal. I I don't know if you have, you have the, the workhorse, that sits there and I guess pulls. Think about it. I mean, let's say somebody for you know twenty years has been, um, head of a hotel and they suddenly want to, um, be a life coach, right? Right. If you're hiring life coaches, they'd be like, well, you've been head of a hotel. I don't know that you know how to, <laughs> you know. Right. That right. isn't to say you don't have an awful lot of life experience and you couldn't help people stay motivated or punch something up. I, I guess if someone, I, mean, I guess there's there's other people that are, aren't on staff. They just they send those emails out and then they say, "Here's five ish topics. Send us your." But that's not that's not really going to pay the bills. That's going to be a little pieces of glitter. Right, and I do those. I do those. I mean, I you know I wrote on I wrote on this uh, show for uh, kids last year a PBS uh, project uh, about nutrition, and that was really fun. But I wasn't really writing comedy. I was sort of, they had written a script for uh, tweens, and they they had no idea how tweens spoke. (laughs) Splendid. Lovely. They they were saying things like, you know, uh, the nutritional value, uh, you know, uh, here isn't sufficient. I'm like, okay, I don't think an (laughs) 11-year-old is going to say that. And because I have, you know, I have an 11 year old, I kind of knew what the, you know, I, I know how they you, speak. You know the voice. And I, I, I was, I, I sort of put in a few things. And there was a lot of times where they'd send it back. Like, you need to say low fat dairy. I said, there's no <laughs> way an 11 year old is going to say low fat dairy. Is that monounsaturated? No, an 11 year old doesn't even know what monounsaturated yeah. fat and is. And chances are, if they're having a yogurt, isn't that better? than them having an ice cream, even if it's full fat. I mean, come on. And I had to have these kind of conversations with nutritionists a lot. And they're like, okay, you're right. I'm like, let's 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 have that be the chyron underneath it. Let's have that be the, the written message because this, this project is being uh, shown on TV, but it's also being shown in classrooms. So, you know, teachers oh. can emphasize what they want. But the kids, are, uh, the kids watching this, I said, aren't going to take it seriously if they're not talking in L- the voice in their of voice. 11-year-olds. Because so it's like, oh, great, there's an adult trapped inside an 11 year old speaking to me and then your bedtime should be nutritional value Uh, yes and if you're an educator and you're listening to this and this sounds like something you're interested in please it's called kickinkitchen.tv um and i believe you can find it at any uh any of the major pbs uh shows okay yeah i'll put that on the on the 
the whole little tag. I'll have so, I, you know, I did that. That was that was uh, that was fun. And, and that paid. That was fun. <laughs> that helped pay for the wedding. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't that lucrative, but it was not, it was very nice to not have to do it on spec. You right. know, I just finished right. a screenplay and that that whole thing was on spec. So how how is that? I mean, that sounds like a what was the time process for that? And how did you stay that's like being an athlete. You have to Well, like the first draft I wrote I wrote in like 3 months and then the second draft took a year. It's it's just so so difficult when you make your living in in show business to do things on spec. And explain uh, ex- explain spec to the audience. So spec is when you uh have no guarantee that will lead to anything or any retribution whatsoever so it it, you have to so love what you're working on to work on spec in my opinion right and typically when you have a writing packet in addition to you know uh topical jokes and sketches that can be uh what they call refilled that would be like your top 10 list and whatnot you also um you also want to have a pilot uh, for a TV show and perhaps even a script of a existing TV show um, in your voice that is, you know, hilarious and funny. But writing those things with absolutely no guarantee of a payday is, it, it takes a tremendous amount of uh, discipline. And it's very, very right, hard for somebody it, who's no used money, to making money. Yeah. Right, there's no money saying, okay, finish the next draft of this. You're, just, you're basically creating this fantasy portfolio and then spending all this time and you may not get anything for all that effort so how do you stay like and a lot of times you do things with a certain amount of calculated risk like i uh, when i had my off-broadway show which was the jap show uh which jessica was in which um marion has been in marion groded and jessica kirsten which uh michelle ballon you know they've all been in i i did do that on spec but i had a pretty i had a pretty safe understanding that that there would be an audience for well, it. Well, there's definitely, in New York City, there's going to be an audience and for not that. And New York City and Los Angeles and Florida. I knew between those things that I wouldn't lose every, I wouldn't lose my shirt. And I might even be able to, you know, make a living off of it. So that was a calculated risk. I was, I was very into it. I was totally driven to make it work. And I did finance a, a good portion of it until it, it, it got a producer. That said, it was still, like, there was a sense that, I had a guaranteed payday at the end, even though it was m- self-motivated. The thing that I'm working on now, I'm I'm actually writing another one-person show, and I I met with a director, and I'm you know sort of like you know rolling my eyes as I say this to you because I know that I have to set aside a certain amount of budget for the director, and you know I I, I don't want someone that you know is is cheap. I want someone that you know I've worked with before, and this person you know has now gotten <laughs> quite expensive and. I have to finance this and hopefully do it on spec. It's very challenging. Right, right. Because now you have to invest, and it's 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 more volatile. And yet you you have to invest in a in a team in your in your teammates that you know have have it together to right. bring it to the. Because if not, but let me just know. say this to any comedian listening: everything is on spec. Every <laughs> night that you write a joke, you write a, if you write a joke that it's that and it's a, it's about Tupperware. You know, or or it's or it's about the you know the position that you want to sleep in. Th- there's no guarantee that that joke is going to work, and there's no guarantee that that joke is going to make money for you. Right. But 
if you write a joke that's really fantastic, you have no idea. I mean, it could end up being, you know, a, com a commercial tagline. It could end up being the thing that gets you on Fallon, that gets you on, uh, on the James Corden show. You don't know. Everything in life is on spec. And so I'm saying this more for myself as I am for you. But just remember... <laughs> Yeah, but everything we do, we have no idea. Like, you know, you were too busy screaming at the comic strip, and, and that's how you, you know. Right. Here's the thing. If you, uh, if it goes, all goes back on, you know, that, that lesson that Eddie Brill gave me a long time ago. If you turn the focus always back to your act, and your act can also be your writing, and your act can also be your, you know, your screenplay or your submission or whatever. If you turn it back to uh, the work, you will be rewarded. You can't let the other stuff get in the way. You can't let the ADD and the people's opinions and the rent. <laughs> <laughs> the rent. Oh, and the bank. Your need for sex. You know, <laughs> you have to learn. You have to learn. I, sometimes people will be like, they'll say to me, they'll, they'll say, but I, 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 I need sex. And I'm like, well, you know, what, what do you need more? I mean, I'd rather have sex with the whole audience. You know, these are people who like, you know, who've completely shelved their social life, you know, in order to get stage time. Right, and right, I'm, right. I'm pushing them to do that. Right. But I, I understand. I mean, I've been there where even, you know, I'll be on the road or, or somewhere and some someone wants to hook up. And I'm like, yeah, but I could really go do another 10 minutes, you know, at somewhere. Get up and I got to work on this joke. I really. Oh, that's great. I just. Give me your information. I'll, I'll get back to you. I mean, I can't, you know. See, that is, I'm sorry. I don't care, straight or gay. That is a guy thing. Women do not get propositioned for sex after shows. <laughs> it's no, no, but that gay, is a double standard. No, gay men don't get propositioned after shows because it's, it's too you intimidating. You said you got a chance to hook up. No, no, but this is just, you know, you turn on your grinder. You turn oh. on your, No, this is, yeah, I explain grinder is an app on the iPhone or whatever phone just you can just turn if it you on i don't know what grinder is then you definitely are can't figure out how to download a podcast so this <laughs> right, right affects no, no one <laughs> 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 thanks a lot rich <laughs> no but it's like you know i i have to like sort of like there's so much gay dd like you could just pick up anything right on your phone will tell you there are 12 guys right now that want to do you or want you to do them and I'm like, okay, no, I just, okay, I, I need, I need to get on stage. Can I say something as a, as a, as a gay male comic? I, I have a bone to pick, and this is, gay male comics support female comics, and the, and we love that, and we appreciate it. But for some reason, I've noticed gay men audiences don't necessarily support gay male comics. Yeah, yeah. Am I wrong about that? No, totally. I mean, there's not one gay male comic that I know that's like, I can't wait to do that gay male bar. Like, no, because it's always like. Because there's a thing of like, I don't know if it's conscious or unconscious. Like, whoa, either like. I mean, they 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 flock to Lisa Lampanelli. They flock to Kathy Griffin. They they. But they don't flock to other males, and I don't know why. I don't know if it's a, it's a jealousy thing or a competition. And maybe it's thing. another thing like girls. You know, girls are like, look at her, look at her. Who does she think she is? Maybe right, it's right. like that. Right. Maybe it's like oh, she's fat. Oh, she thinks she's oh, oh total bottom. Oh, big girl. Like, there's all this. I think there's also a lot of self-loathing in the gay community, gay male community, that it's hard to celebrate another gay guy without going like, oh, "Please, tranny." I mean, that's it, so. I mean, it's transphobic, it's homophobic, but we can't. We are so busy emasculating other gay men because I think it, we we there's so much that's been shoved on us. I mean, even on like like on Grinder, like these these hookup sites, their profiles will say seeking straight acting only. 
In other words, I'm a faggot, but don't be a faggot when we do faggot things. To, I mean, that's really a harsh language, but it's gay men won't even allow themselves to be fully gay with each other sexually. How could we possibly celebrate a yeah. gay man being fully gay as a comic? Well, I, I, they, I, I understand it to mean they don't want anybody that's swishy. Mm. Right? Right, yeah. right. But I think it's also, I don't know, there might be just some other kind of pecking male competitive thing where well you know what then i'm gonna give you you know the same you know formula the the same recipe the same prescription women have to support women gay men have to support gay male comics i just I, the more you do it the better it's gonna be for you right right i mean there aren't when i'm up in the catskills gay men come but we're all part of this community we're in the middle of nowhere some of them live up there full-time others have like second homes others have have you know moved out there and they've set out they've made settle gay settlements in the well, that, Catskills and yeah. they, they come out to the shows and they're supportive but I also know that they will come in droves for a female comedian they just there's something like I, I'm not sure if it's this uh, uh, there's there's probably some other archetype that I'm not even qualified to describe some psychiatrist out there is gonna say oh that's the blue bleh, but it just it's the phenomenon yeah all gay men want their they want their best girlfriend on stage and they want to go yay pretty yay funny sassy but like a guy's like okay he's he's pretty good they'll give me that I mean they love me They're, but they right. you know but yeah. I I don't there's never the to the next level and and every now and then there's someone who's like becomes like some rice queen fan but you know they're <laughs> in a, they're in a trance and they're, right. like, they're not even talking to Do me you think it's, does that happen in the asian community too are are are, are asians more supportive of asian comics well will they come out for margaret show or is it yeah well i think it's different i mean i know on the college circuit there's a huge i mean i get bookings for filipino groups asian groups from straight groups and also i don't know maybe this the tone is different but i think Asians want to see, and they get that they want to see other Asians in media, and that they want to support. I mean, I was doing some contests years ago, and I've, I'll still be doing them. So please stay on my website, and stay on my Twitter feed. But you know, vote for this person because if we don't vote for ourselves at this level, how can we possibly see, com uh, you know, comedians or actors or any other Asians in something other than the hospital? If we don't, you know, even Grey's Anatomy, there's like two Asians. <laughs> like, you're in the Pacific Northwest and there's not even like, we're the Filipino nurses. There's none. Right. It's crazy. Well, I've been working on NCL cruises and apparently you have, uh, <laughs> you have that market <laughs> cornered. Every cruise director is Filipino <laughs> and they all, they all have, they all have nicknames for themselves. Right. And they're not related to their own name. If it's George, <laughs> it's Pong <laughs> Pong, you know? Right. Like. My name is Richard, <laughs> but people call me Dan Dan. <laughs> right, right, right. It's almost like a scrambler. I've even noticed on the NCL cruise line, and uh, listen, that's how pathetic my life is, but I have been trying to pay for a wedding. That's why I'm doing cruises. Um, <laughs> so, but the, the, all these, uh, all the hierarchy, like cruise director are Filipino, the people right underneath them Filipino, and then... Then you start to see a few Canadians. <laughs> you start to see a few <laughs> Americans. You, you might see Australian. It's very funny. Right, right. But they're, they're, they're I mean, this is a pejorative. They were, people say that like the Filipinos are like the Mexicans of the rest of the world. Like they will work hard. You, they will sh go anywhere. They will swim, well, fly. Except I have to tell you, I, like I said, in the arenas that I've been working in, they have, they have succeeded all the way to the top. Right, right. Right. Well, the work ethic, too. I mean, if you this is the thing that's funny, because all the Filipinos in my family that got here are like type A, cranking it out. W sleep is for lazy people, kind of like work, 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 work. 
Uh, and it wasn't until I got to the went back to the Philippines and I saw the relatives that weren't the type A that are just hanging out, living on the dole of all the type A Filipinos that got out. I mean, there's right. there's the ones that like if they're motivated, they are out of there. Do you think it may also have to do with the East Coast Filipinos? Because most of the West Coast, like you said, so many of them are, you know, are working, you know, their way up. Right. Well, and the ones that come all the way to the East Coast, it's because they got into good West East Coast colleges. <laughs> I don't, I, yeah, but I, I don't know if it's just like if they got to California, they're like, okay, well, just chill out, and there's not the – I mean, there's still ambition, but I'm, I'm not sure. I only know because I'm only exposed to these little pockets of my own Filipino communities, or I'm only going to the Filipino Medical Association tennis tournament karaoke throwdown <laughs> <laughs> you know, with my parents at some event as a kid. So you're only, you're only mirroring, and then the parents are going to beat anyone who doesn't get an A. So everyone else is sort of – you know, Did you guys really get excited about the uh, the guy in Top Chef? Oh, Tal Day? Yeah, he opened a place in Jersey City. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, amazing. And it's you. I had that sick dessert that you guys love, which is like Jello milk and <laughs> cereal condensed milk. No, what no. The hell was hello, that? Hello, hello. It was so gross. But you, and, it's, and every, it's a different palate. Everybody it's said like, you have to get it, so it's like it, every li, if you're listening and you're not Filipino, so it's like chunks of Jello. Condensed milk on uh, on shaved ice on shaved ice with Captain Crunch, <laughs> and maybe M and M's. It was the most bizarre. But then like red beans, red beans, yeah. So, so you're confused. Like, is this a burrito? Is it ice cream? Is it candy? Is it trick or treat? Or is it are there jalapenos coming along? Like, what? Yeah. Or did like some kid like get a scholarship and their mother wanted to give them an amazing dessert and just threw everything <laughs> in the closet <laughs> into a bowl? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a it's not a dessert it's a dowry it's it was amazing <laughs> yeah but it was weird you, you were surprised at the textures and i and did i did i did take some getting used to but i also thought if we're talking about dale on top chef there was there's an example of of your totally driven incredibly right. uh detail-oriented filipino right. and that and that's sort of the ones that uh, those are the ones that i have when i say those are the ones that's a terrible thing but th that's my bit that's been my experience with filipinos right right Right, but, but, but I in California, you know, the uh, we have I have some rel wealthy relatives, and a lot of them had Filipino nannies and Filipino right. housekeepers. Right. But there's a lot of domestic workers that that that's there's you know there's the I guess in the '60s there was the brain drain. My parents, you know, were a doctor and engineer, and then uh, and they were coming out here and they needed it. America needed doctors and engineers, and now like there's a there's a there's a it's like a knock, not a knock knock joke, but a like two Jews walk into a bar. It's like a, a, a Filipino nurse and a Filipino doctor walk into a bar in Manila. And they one of them asks, what do you do? And she says, oh, I'm a nurse. And then the, uh, the nurse asks the doctor, what do you do? And he says, I'm a doctor. And the nurse says, oh, I'm so sorry for you. Because if you're a nurse, you can work anywhere in the world. You can come to the United States, and you will be f you will be basically sending money back home and creating mansions for the family. But if you're a doctor, right, you have to go back to school. You will, yeah, you have to. But if you're a doctor, you'll never come to America because they don't need doctors. Every kid oh, in oh. America is already going to medical I school to be. They don't need them. They, but no one wants to be a nurse. You have, you know, for every one doctor, you need like twenty nurses to right. actually do the work. And no one in America, th there's no one saying, oh. And by the way, if you're a comedian out there and you're dreading doing comedy this weekend, go to nursing school because it is a profession that you can work <laughs> anywhere in the United <laughs> States. You could work in Hawaii. You could work in Santa Fe, all these wonderful places in the country, and you'll be paid well. You will have a pension. You will have dental. You will have psychiatry. You will have pharmaceutical coverage. Being a comedian is not, I would, 
if I could convince anybody to go and be a nurse, think y- you will be serving God if you do that. <laughs> Laughter is the best medicine, but it doesn't have coverage. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And in my case, there's a $2,500 deductible. So Right, right. Yes. And it's per incident. Yeah. And a lot of, or, and it's per family member, which is ridiculous. Right, right. So, um, yeah, it's that is that is. Uh, or I guess you could be a nurse and a comedian, and that way you could just pick up shifts, get some money, and then go do some work. Honestly, it is one of those professions where you could probably do that. Yeah, yeah. But you would need to take you. What is it? You got to take a four year break to really become a registered nurse. <laughs> right. And maybe along the way you'll realize how pointless this business. <laughs> really is that's 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 the inspirational quote from uh, if i could just save one person what would you tell an aspiring comedian don't do it no i would say is there anything else that you like doing that's what i would say (laughs) and if they look at me deadpan and they say no there's nothing else that brings me joy then i will support them 100 percent. but you know when i see ambivalence this is not for the ambivalent this is for i can't do anything else that makes me feel this excited. Right. And right. fulfilled. Right. Where everything lights up. And even up. though that sounds incredibly, you know, om shanti om, I apologize, but it 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 you have to have that kind of a you have to get a boner at the thought of right. doing a set. And right. if you don't, you know, oh my god, think how wonderful your life could be as a nurse. <laughs> and think of how proud my parents will be of you whoever you are my parents will be very proud of you (laughs) they will actually support you so if you want you go to my website and i can link you to my parents they will give you a scholarship but it'll be in my name oh my god (laughs) there there are scholarships to be a nurse there is so much incentive to being a nurse right (laughs) we really do need nurses you can get a grant to be a nurse you could get exactly and a filipino can help you write it because they have the discipline My parents will take you. They will adopt you if you need to be adopted. Uh, I, I think I told my mom. I had, oh, I told my mom. Yeah, I just started a new podcast. She's like, oh, this guy. So are you eating? You know, it just doesn't. You know, to her, it's like I just did long. It doesn't mean anything. That my parents love me. Like they really love me. They don't under- necessarily understand what comedy is. They don't understand what a podcast is. You know, you just have to do it because you love it. But you know what, Rich? Nobody's parents understand it. <laughs> you know, I know that you've been writing that, you know, that that joke for a long time that your parents. I mean, I, I used to do a joke about how I could tell my parents that I won the Nobel Peace Prize and they would look up and they would say, take an umbrella, stock em is damp. <laughs> I mean, they people who become comedians come from a place where right. that would not have been. Right. That would not right. have made sense. Right. Right. The vast majority of us are coming from incredibly dysfunctional. Right, right, right. Otherwise, right. we would not have used this as a defense mechanism right, to right. survive. We wouldn't have built this cocoon of comedy right. to protect us from the pain of what we came from. And you know, <laughs> as a as a mom, and I have a you know I have a daughter that is an incredibly talented cake decorator. And sometimes I don't know what to say. I will say the wrong thing. You know, my my daughter had a had a cake featured in on uh, had a ca- uh, her cakes were featured uh, in an episode of Chopped on the Food Network. And someone over at the Food Network suggested that they that she follow up and do, you know, some more work with them. And I was like, oh, my God, you should do that. And I was pushing it. And she's looking at me with this, like, look of anger. And I didn't get it. And she finally said, it would be a pay cut. 
it's not a it, it's not a prestigious thing for me to go and help them at the Food Network. I mean, it's a different thing if they want to give me my own show, but you know. And uh, I didn't understand. Right. It was no different than me saying, me saying to you, "Why don't you do laughing yoga?" <laughs> I mean, how offensive was that? Is that right, people right. have told me that? Why don't you, you like to do yoga? You're funny. Why don't you do laughing yoga? Fuck you! <laughs> what, would, laughing, what would I make if I did laughing yoga? I would. I, what do you pay? Ten dollars for the class? Donation. I'd make forty, sixty dollars to. I I just made twenty five hundred dollars performing for, you know, for 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 the laparoscopic surgeons. They loved me. So it's 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 very true. As a, as a parent, you you know, I I, f- I feel, uh, you know, whenever you have an artist, you 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 don't know what the right thing to say is. Right, right, and the artist, in a way, because I actually. My parents, we were out in Montreal. I was picking up at the airport, and they were just trying to navigate their whatever it was. But they, I finally found them. And my dad, the first thing my dad says, Richard, I went to YouTube. I looked you up. You're so funny now. You're so confident. It's just amazing. That's wonderful. And I looked at him, and I was like, and I was like, thank you. And at one point, we had to, they had to get the bags or something. I said to my partner, David, I said, David. I'm not sure how to process this. And David's like, don't process it. Just take it. Just take it, bitch. You got it. <laughs> I'm like, I, you know, I'm so conditioned to not get it. Right. That when my dad finally comes in an authentic space and we went out of his way and like said, I was like, oh my God, can I record that? And like, I need to, I can't even, it's like I'm, like I have uh, insulin deficiency. Like I can't even absorb the sugar. I'm right. like emotionally the, diabetic. Right. The, <laughs> I can't take any sugar from my parents now. Right. The, the, the hole is so deep. It's just a, it's just like a drop at the bottom of the puddle. I had a similar thing. I remember it. My dad. Um, my dad didn't get it. He didn't get it. He didn't get it. He didn't get it. I mean, maybe it was the, maybe the fourth or fifth time I was on TV. Still didn't get it. Oh. And then he came to a show. And it was at some theater that really impressed him. And he said, I always knew you had it. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't have been more vocal that this was not an appropriate choice <laughs> for me. I always knew you had it. But I took it. I did. And I, 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 I to this day, so grateful. I, he, he was, he had, they had, my dad had a hard time really being supportive. I mean, he, I don't think he breathed a total sigh of relief with my, career choice until I got married because even even though I was doing really well and I was putting my daughter in you know boarding school in Ojai and I I you know I was by all accounts a success you know in this field when I got married he finally he was just, he was like uh, you married a lawyer it's okay <laughs> you know <laughs> worst comes to worst thanks for believing in me worst comes to worst he'll he'll carry you yeah he'll put money away for the retirement you know that was my dad. <laughs> Thanks for believing in me, Dad. Oh, well, I guess that's also just parents. It, it they they need to see this. They need to see the thing that they know, and if it's not the yeah. thing they know, they uh, they want to be sure they you know. That's what a life preserver looked like in the '40s. So that's what it has to look like today for them. Even if you've got you know this other great flotation device, it's not. I'll never forget one of my father's secretaries. You know, my father had a had a business for many years, and she said. Did you know that he, in his briefcase, he ca- he carries around every newspaper clipping that you're featured in, and he like shows it to total strangers. Huh? And you know, when my dad died last year, and I I found 
it was like he actually had like this plastic coated packet that you know he could just toss into briefcases and he could pull out these new and th- some of th- these articles like the, the worst picture i'm like this is the one he's showing <laughs> you know but you know he had all these different newspaper clippings you know when people still cared about that and still saved all these newspapers <laughs> there's no links it's all they, pieces of paper right and it was pieces of paper and it was all it was in this like, little plastic pouch and apparently whenever he traveled and my father traveled extensively because uh, for his work he had to go all over the world and he would show anybody and, th- and i d- wouldn't have known that if his secretary didn't tell me that so you never knew until i he didn't passed. know that he would like pull these you know <sighs> and it must have been so boring could you imagine sitting next to him and <laughs> on the plane and here's where she did Letterman for the twenty seventh time, <laughs> but she married a lawyer after. <laughs> he would uh, he would always leave me messages on the machine. He's like, uh, I I just got off the plane from Italy, and uh, I was sitting next to a, a guy. It's not exactly show business. He makes uh, exercise videos, but you know he's 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 he he does things uh, on TV. You know with these exercise videos, maybe he could help you. And uh, here's his phone number. Uh, it's one. 201, got to dial to one. Uh, you know what? I got to call you back. I can't read this. I can't read my writing. All right. <laughs> I get these messages all the time. He makes exercise videos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. It has been so fun to have pleasure, you. Pleasure, pleasure. So this has been the second episode of We There Yet, WTY podcast with Rich Kiamko. And thank you again, Corey Kahaney. Amazing to hear your stories. Thanks so much for being here. My pleasure. Good luck. For more information about our guests and future shows, please go to our website at WTYPod.com. That's WTYPOD.com. I'm Rich Kiamko. Thanks so much for joining me. WTY! It's a comedy journey.